Man, you go ahead. My privilege of being the lead pastor here and going to share uh, some truths from God's Word. We're going to be looking into Malachi chapter 2. You can turn there in your smart devices or in your paper Bibles, whatever you have. Uh, welcome to you who are online. I got to tell you, online, we, uh, we did this impromptu uh, survey, the first service. We're going to extend it to the second service. Here's what I want from you. We, I want you to give your, just give you the, uh, your location. Whatever location you want to give, you know, you can give us your, your city or your country or whatever you want to give, uh, your social security number. No, not that part, but, but here's what I do want. I want you to tell us your favorite um, uh, coffee house. I'll tell you mine. And I get booed for this, but this is my favorite. And it's not really a coffee house. It's Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, I, I know, I know, I know that, that it's not really a, it's a donut place, not a coffee house, but I don't like that burnt coffee from other places. So you tell me where your place is, and we're going to tally it up. We're going to find out the favorite place, uh, and where we, we're going to, uh, we're going to make this official poll, and we're going to publish it in the Wall Street Journal. And... <laughs> And you're going, to, you're going to be part of it. So we're going to tell it next week. We're going to give the answer next week. So let's find out your favorite, favorite coffee shop, and uh, we'll see what it is. You can, you can participate here. You can, you can vote on your communicator card. We're your favorite coffee shop, and we'll uh, let it know next week. But let's just uh, chime in there. Uh, a couple things before we get into Malachi chapter 2. This afternoon, we are sending out a small team heading to Ecuador. They're going to be uh, doing some uh, work and investigation of some ministry that we're looking or hoping to do uh, in Quito, uh, where, where they're going to be looking at some uh, um, uh, Planned Parenthood, not Planned Parenthood, but uh, 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 some uh, abortion uh, a place that are fighting abortion down in Quito. And so they're going to be working with some, some uh, talking to some people down there about with the folks that are fighting abortion. They're going to be talking to our agencies that are working to stop uh, human trafficking. And they're also going to be talking to some church leaders about partnering or even starting a church in, in, in Ecuador. So be praying for them. Uh, a small group is going to go down there, spend about a week, and then Pastor Devon will be going about a, uh, down about a month later to follow up with that and try to get a little further on. This is a serious uh, investigative uh, trip that they're taking and that Devon is going to be following up with. So keep them in prayer in the weeks ahead. Uh, on a second note, a few years back, quite a few years back now, uh, I had lunch at a local restaurant. Uh, it's, the name of the place was she is Shells. And I met a man named uh, Pastor Rudy Greco. And Pastor Rudy um, and I became friends. I needed someone to, uh, to preach for me one weekend. And I asked him if he'd do so, and he filled in for me that weekend. And uh, we became a, a close friends. Him and his wife, Lee, became members of this church. And eventually, Pastor Rudy became, uh, came on staff. He did take, took care of pastoral care and a number of other things in, uh, uh, in the church. Uh, him, has, him and his wife uh, did a lot of counseling, a lot of visitation, just uh, 
became a valuable part of this church and a great asset to Sue and I, just to uh, sounding boards for us, some people that we could go to for advice, no one we could always go to for prayer. When Sue uh, was diagnosed with cancer, she'd always say that when she, when she uh, heard them coming, she felt relieved because she trusted their, their, their prayer. They, they, they were such great intercessors, and they still are. I got a, a um, message from uh, Pastor Rudy um, yesterday asking for the church to unite in prayer because his wife um, was, is in not good shape right now. Let me go back a little bit. Um, she's recently been, uh, they recently found a growth on her pancreas, and some of you are in the church's uh, email, and you know, uh, know about that. Hospice has been part of it, and they have uh, been treating her with cancer on the pancreas. Yesterday, uh, hospice informed her that it doesn't look good, and that Rudy is, and a small group around them are praying for a miracle. Um, a few years back, they moved to be closer to family in Las Vegas, and, and so they've got a few people that are there around them, but they still consider this their uh, home and this, this their family. And so I promised them today that we would unite in prayer with them. In fact, Pastor Rudy, um, I know you and Lee are watching right now, and uh, uh, you're gonna, we're going to unite in prayer with you for the miracle that you're asking for. And so I'm going to ask you as a church, even if you don't, I know many of you don't know Pastor Rudy and Lee, and, but many of you do. But I'm going to ask you to stand. And as a sign of agreement, I want you to reach your hand forward toward me. Our cameras are going to capture you uniting in prayer. I'm going to turn and face the, go this way as well. And we're going to unite our prayers and pray for Pastor Rudy and Lee, and asking for Lee's miracle. Would you unite in prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this couple. We thank you for the years of ministry, of serving in so many different areas, from evangelists to local church pastors, to encouragers to us. And now we ask that you would touch Lee's body, that you'd raise her up, give her the strength, to, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to uh, get up and move about, and uh, you bring healing to her. Bring hope and strength to, to uh, Rudy, and that God, the faith that they've had for so many, may we, we, get, we extend our faith to them. And God, we unite our faith, believing for your strength, for your presence, and for your, your love to overwhelm them right now. Yes. We believe in, in a great God to do a great thing on their behalf. Yes. God, we know that your love for them far exceeds any love that we could have for them. Even the love that they can have for one another, is that gives us great comfort. And God, we know that one day all of us will cross over to be with you. And God, we, we, uh, we look forward to that day with, with uh, excitement. But God, we ask for a little longer that this couple can be together. Yes. And that you, your presence, will be very real within the day. 
We may unite our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the church unitedly said amen. Give, give this couple a great hand, would you please? Pastor Rudy, Lee, we do love you, and uh, our prayers will continue, and we look forward to hearing uh, God's good report uh, on, on your behalf. Uh, thanks for t- tuning in, and uh, I know that you got you can go ahead and have a seat. I know that you have a, a full day, and uh, so uh, if you stick around, that's great. If not, uh, God bless you, Pastor, and God bless you, uh, Ali. Um, We're going to turn to Malachi chapter 2 before we get to reading that passage. Um, Let me just uh, talk to you a little bit about uh, um, losing something or giving something away. You ever ever done that? You ever lost, uh, uh, sold something and uh, maybe later wish you hadn't or gave something away and realized later that you really could use it? Well, that's what it was like when... uh, uh, I moved to Florida some 17 years ago. I got rid of all my snow shovels. I got rid of my ice picks, my ice scrapers, because I was moving to Florida. Now, I know some of you are not living in Florida, so you're, still, you're just sharpening up all those tools, but we don't have them down here. I got rid of my winter coats. I got rid of my heavy sweaters. And I got rid of all my skull caps, because I was moving to Florida. I also got rid of anything to do with the lawn because I was getting lawn service. (laughs) See, I I had an ankle injury back, way back when I was about 30. I wouldn't be able to mow this uh, Florida grass because we got some funky grass in Florida. Uh, So I came to Florida with no tools except for a couple shovels, a few rakes, and some uh, uh, watering hoses. I wasn't prepared for gardens that grow into forests and trees that need constant pruning. So after a couple months, I'm replacing all the stuff that I left up north. I'm talking about hand shears, pole pruners, hand saws. I I still don't have a chainsaw. I'm laying on $100 for a hedger, another C-note for an edger and a weed whacker. I got myself a seed spreader and a weed killer I found out that Florida is the only place where what other parts of the country call weeds, we call St. Augustine grass. (laughs) It creeps along the ground like something you see in a horror movie. You dare not fall asleep on the grass in Florida because you might wake up being strangled by the tentacles of St. Augustine grass. (laughs) There's an old saying. You don't know what you got till it's gone. That's what I felt about those tools that I gave away up in, up in uh, uh, the north. And that's what this next section of Malachi is all about. As I mentioned, we're working through the book of Malachi. This is the third installment. It was written almost 500 years ago. Now, every, the, the, we've, every week I've been giving you a little bit of historical background and uh, if you haven't been listening throughout the, throughout the weeks, it might be good for you to go back and at least listen to part, the parts of it so you can get the historical background because it does help us to understand what's going on. The Jews had uh, been taken captive to a foreign land and now they're back because the Persians allowed them to return 
And they're living in and around Jerusalem. But they're not happy. They've been back about 100 years, and things haven't worked out as they've planned. There's only about 50,000 of them or less. Not as many as they'd hoped. In chapter 1, we've learned that all they can see is what they don't have rather than what God has given. And what they're doing is they're blaming God for it. Now in chapter 2, what we're going to find is God turns the tables on them and puts the blame squarely at the feet of the priests. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. Old, now, old priest, this command is for you. Let's talk about the background of the priesthood, who they were, and why that matters to us. Outside of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches, most churches today don't use the title priest to identify the clergy. The reason is that the new ter- uh, is because the New Testament changed the usage of the word priest. When you read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 and through 25, you'll find that the old, in the Old Testament, there were lots of priests whose job was temporary because they died off. But in the New Testament, there was a change. Jesus became our permanent high priest who lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. Now, I don't have time to go into what that means. That's for another day. The point that I want to make today is that Christ is the only priest that stands between us and God the Father. It used to be all these other priests, but now they're all removed. Now it's just Jesus, our high priest. According to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16, his sacrifice was final. The others were temporary, but these are, this is, his is final, and it's indestructible. It's never going away. The second reason most churches don't call clergy priests is because the New Testament re-identifies the priesthood as all of the church, all of the Christians, all of Christ's followers. We're called a holy priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We'll stop right there. Understand this. The primary role of a priest was to represent the people before God. No direct access. But now our high priest, Jesus Christ, he's our final sacrifice. He made us all priests, which means we have open access to God the Father. So everything's changed. In the New Testament, the uh, the leaders of the church are redesignated. In Ephesians chapter 4 and other places, we find that redesignation. He gave some to be apostles, some are prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the section we're about to read, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 2 of Malachi, primarily is written to people like me. So the question that I would ask if I was sitting in your seat is, why should I be here? Why can't I go out and get an Egg McMuffin right now and just be done with it? Because this doesn't apply to me. If you're going to get an Egg McMuffin, I would like a biscuit. Well, before you run off and, or just tune out, 
Let me give you a couple answers to that question. This applies to you because it applies to all of us in a broader way. The principles that we find in these nine verses apply to every Christian. But more importantly, you and I are living in an information age where everyone with a computer can come off as a theologian. I mean, they can write their blog or write on a comment page and all of a sudden everybody knows everything about anything. For instance, this is a for instance. Right now we have around 383, I don't know who counted them all, 383 podcasts to choose from. A lot of them are spiritual in nature. I use that word spiritual because it's pretty broad. I wouldn't, uh, some are religious and that's, that's narrows the spiritual down. Christian even more, but what does that look like? I gotta tell you, just, and this just came uh, ready for public broadcast just this past week. Centerpoint has its own podcast now. You shouldn't be so excited. <laughs> this is really cool. We got our own podcast now. Yeah, thank you very much. You can find it on Apple and on Spotify. And as soon as I can get it all put together, uh, as soon as I get somebody else to get it all put together, we're gonna be able, we'll have a link from our website, cpchurch.net, so you get right to it. But all you do is you go to Centerpoint, uh, you, you go to your, your provider, Apple or Spotify, and you go to find Centerpoint Church and look for our logo, and you can download it, and you can follow, our, follow this, the, this, uh, the, uh, our, our podcast. What they do is they take, they take um, uh, the teaching of the day uh, on a Sunday, and then they unpack it a little bit more, make some comments about it. I listened to the one this past week. Honestly, it, it was very interesting. They offer some fresh insights to it. I would strongly advise that you listen to it a few times, because and, and, it's going to get better and better as it goes. I, I enjoyed it. So I, I, I would strongly encourage you to, to do it. Uh, you online as, as well. But uh, you can trust, I, 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 you, I think you can trust the center points because you know us. We know each other. We're the church, we're the family. But what about those that you don't know that you're listening to? Or they're all out there. How do you know? I think, I think um, Malachi has some answers for us. Some guidelines for us. In the decades that I've been alive, I've been alive for a lot of decades. I've been alive for six, over six decades. And some of you are scratching your heads saying, six decades? Yeah, well, that's not, the worst of it is I've been doing, I've been a full-time ministry for, uh, for over 40 years. Somebody give me a chair. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm not looking for, I'm looking for a chair, not applause. I'm just kidding. Um, my point is this. Of all those years, I think we are living in a time we are, where we are the most susceptible, of all the years I've been alive, most susceptible to celebrity preachers. I, I want you to hear me on this. I think it's very dangerous. I've, and it's always been around, I mean, way back when, you know, it's always been around, but now it's even worse. I, I, I'm afraid that too often, appearance and charisma and presentation is trumping biblical truth 
and personal integrity. And if you are, if you are a parent or a grandparent, you need to be smart about this. Smart for yourself, because you and I are as susceptible as anybody, but also smart, smart for your grown children and your growing children. See, we shouldn't look, listen to a broadcast because they say what we want to hear. We do that for news media all the time. That's what's making us stupid people, citizens. That's what's happening in Malachi's day, you see. And we shouldn't just follow a pastor because he or she is the latest and the greatest. That's what happened in the 1980s, for those of you who were around. It damaged a lot of people. You and I need to be more like the Bereans who are in the Bible, who are always double-checking what the preachers were preaching, double-checking against what the Bible said. Acts 17, the, Bible, the people of Berea were more open-minded. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas, I mean, these are Paul and Silas, but they double-checked Paul and Silas to make sure they were telling the truth according to what the Bible said. Last week I told you what to expect from a preacher. And so let's go back to Malachi 2, first three verses. Now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your face, the poop of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Let me be clear. The first thing that you should expect from any Christian leader, they should have a passion for God's glory. Amen. To glorify God is to give weight. I'm sorry, let me just back that up for a second. To glorify anything is to give weight to it. To, to give weight to someone or something. To give it importance in your life. To respect it. When I was in, I, I think I've shared portions of this before. When I was a 13, my Boy Scout troop went on a trip down the Mississippi on pontoon boats. Two, two canoes uh, uh, lashed together with, uh, with a, with a uh, plywood between it, a sail, a sail and a uh, and a motor, um, a motor behind it. Danger, most dangerous thing you ever thought of doing. Um, from the beginning, it was trouble. We encountered rough waters, uh, tornadoes. Some of, almost, some of us almost died on Lock 13. I was one of them. We, uh, we lost most of our gear, most of our supplies. Uh, had to rough it out for the last half of the trip. After a week on the river, we... Uh, Headed, we were headed to our, we went to our scout camp for another week to be there. When I got to uh, the scout camp, my dad was waiting for us. When I saw him, I started to cry. I was so embarrassed. I tried not to cry, but I couldn't stop crying. His, his presence being there just made me feel like I was finally safe. Is, that is just a glimmer of what I feel about God's presence. We're humbled, we're honored, we're comforted, knowing that he will make it all okay. We worship him, not for what he does, 
Not for how he makes us feel. Not for how he answers or doesn't answer or think he doesn't answer our prayers. His presence is enough. It has to be enough. That's what glorifying God is all about. I talked about that more last week. But in Malachi's day, God's name and so his reputation was being disgraced by the priests. They degraded him by how they lived their, lived their faith, how they brought their offerings, and even their attitude in worship. Now, I'm not here to throw any stones at anyone because you, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. But if you're following a certain ministry, and I would say most of us at one level or another follow a certain ministry, you need to ask, while you're watching a service, reading a blog, or listening to a podcast, who's getting most the attention? How does, that, how does that host or preacher talk about himself or herself? Is there pride or is there humility? Is it all about what they've built or is it what the team has built? What God has built? Whose kingdom is really being built? God says, my pastors and church leaders will have a passion for God's glory, and if they don't, eventually the chickens will come home to roost. Meaning, bad things will happen in the form of God's curse. When we think of a curse, our minds go to Hollywood movies like The Omen, or The Conjuring, or The Exorcist. All bad movies, horror movies. Don't recommend them. I know it's Halloween. Be smart about Halloween, by the way. Just a little aside for you parents who like to like all that stuff. That's the, I know, that's, no, that's, forget I just said that. We're not talking about that tonight. <laughs> but that's not the curse that we're talking about. We don't think about Hollywood. Biblical curse isn't like a Hollywood curse. When God speaks of a curse, he's talking about punishment. He's going to, he'll even curse the priest's blessing. He's saying, all those good things that you won't even acknowledge, I'm going to take those away. But there's more. I'm going to add to your misery. I liken this to when I was in trouble as a kid. My parents would take something away from me. Like, they was, like God was taking away the blessing. They would take something away from me, like TV privileges. And then, like, the, like God, God was going to add misery to the priest, my parents would add misery to me. They'd take away the TV and add more misery, a spanking. Priests would lose their position as priests. That was the manure thing. And God would add a curse to the ground. I mean, their income would be impacted. The families would feel the financial pinch. And with it, social shame. And that harkens back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 20. The Lord himself will send you curses and confusion and frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. Understand, God is a God of forgiveness and mercy, but he is also a God of justice and punishment. We like the first part. We don't talk much about the second part. Let me put it another way. 
God is not just a pa- does passive in his pu- punishment by removing blessings. That sounds easier. He's also active in punishing deliberate, persistent sin. But let me be clear. God's punishment isn't to get even with us. It's to bring us back to our senses. To get us to turn back and follow Christ. To live right. To deal with our sin. And to live, with him, live for him. That's what Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 through 9 tells us. Then at last, you know what that, then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning so that my covenant, my agreement, my contract with the Levites can continue, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that's what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did it. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction, for the priest is a messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. For you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way that you carry out my instructions. As I explained last week, the Levites were one whole tribe of Israel set apart to serve in the temple. As God's people hear and live what the priests teach, the promised blessing is life and peace. But that all hinges on the priest, or in our case, the pastor, teaching the truth of God's word. That's that next slide. Teach the truth of God's word. That is the first and most important thing you should expect from a pastor. To teach the truth of God's word. Now I've had the privilege of... uh, having a number of people under my leadership enter full-time ministry, part-time and full-time ministry. The most recent is Amanda Hicks, right here from Centerpoint Church. Yeah, give it a hand. That family's been here for years. She was a police officer, studied to get her, got her M- Master's of Divinity, uh, then went and bought a, a food, uh, food truck, uh, a coffee truck uh, that you know, that was just, she'll have to, she'd have to explain that to you. And then in the meantime, uh, a church right down the street on Emerson, uh, Tomoka Christian Church, um, found her and offered a position as pastor of children and youth. She accepted it, and she starts tomorrow. And uh, she was going to be here today, but they escaped away for one uh, last getaway before all of her weekends are used up forever. And so um, uh, it's exciting for, for the, uh, that family, and, I, and the Hicks family are going to have a great time, a great ministry right down the street, so we'll be neighbors, and I'm sure we'll do ministry together in the future. But recently I was talking to another young man who came up under soon my ministry. 
this younger pastor was being advised by an older pastor about how to grow the church. The old pastor had seen some church growth in his church, and so he began to explain that every Sunday, and he credits this to the church growth, every Sunday he takes a few minutes to talk politics. He'll pick a, a hot topic that's going on in the world, and, uh, and then he'll address it. And of course he will uh, um, uh, give, give uh, his political point of view that coincides with the majority of his members, if not all of his members, and then he'll wrap it up and tie it in a bow and Christianize it and make it seem really a fit for his Christian audience. And if I sound cynical, I am. Because in my view, that minister is guilty of doing what the priests were doing in Malachi's day. In verse 9, it says they were showing favoritism. They were doing what they needed to do in order to keep their constituents happy. In the priest's case, they were doing it for money. In that old minister's case, in my view, he was doing it to be, or at least to feel, successful. We should never be afraid to answer, give God's answer to things going on in our culture. And at center point, we are to do our best to do that with integrity but I'll never consciously uh, compromise God's altar for a political agenda, even my own agenda. And I got one. We all got one. It's God's word. It's God's word. Not the economists, not the politicians, not the teachers' union, not anybody's union. It's God's word that has the answers. It is a pure word of God that should have should have the final say. That is the first thing that you should expect for, out of any pastor that, that you, you follow, that you listen to, that you take your P's and Q's from. That doesn't mean that pastors can't speak to political issues on a podcast as long as that not, not sandwich is being God's word or this is God's answer. Unless, it, it, unless it's really addressing a, a, a moral issue or in a blog, but not from a pulpit. Not when we're supposed to be declaring God's truth. We don't mix the two. The second thing Malachi says to look for in a pastor is a lifestyle consistent with God's word. Now this is harder, quite honestly, because there's too many of us who, are get, who, get, just, judge, who get judgmental and disenchanted. We think that those folks are supposed to live better than, they're, they're supposed to live better than I'm supposed to live. That's not true. I told Patty, and uh, she came to work at a mega church that I was a part of. This is not utopia. She nodded her head in agreement, but didn't hit her word, I said. She was gone in a year. People who work in churches are a work in progress just like you. We need the same grace and forgiveness that you need. At the same time, church leaders must be men and women who strive to walk with God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and with all of their strength. Amen. The reason is obvious, because all of us are supposed to do the exact same thing. And 
If your spiritual leaders aren't doing it, then who are you going to follow? Paul famously wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. And when I read that as a young man, at first glance, I think that is, sounds as arrogant as you can get. But that really is just being a leader. When I was a kid, we lived on an inlet uh, off of Lake Michigan. And, we, and it all is frozen in the wintertime. And we wanted to go skating. And so my dad and I went out to test the ice. And he, my dad said, follow me. And so I did, right behind him. So we started to test the ice. And then my uh, dad's foot went through the ice. He looked back at me and said, don't step there. <laughs> if you are a dad or a mom, and you have your act together, you're telling your kids verbally or non-verbally, follow me and you'll be safe. If you're teaching someone to trade, you're saying, follow me and you'll learn. If you're leading a ministry, teaching a class, mentoring or pastoring, you're saying, follow me and I'll show you how to walk with Christ. That's why when a pastor has a moral failure, it is especially sad. Not only for him or her and the family, but for those who are following behind. Oh, good news. Hulu has a special coming out about the sex scandal around Jerry Falwell Jr. Jr. and his wife Becky. Isn't that wonderful? Millions of people will tune in to drool over the moral failure of another pastor and another dynasty that fell. For those of you who don't know, Jerry Fowler Jr. was in the president of uh, Liberty University. And I'm not going to go into his scandal, but it was nasty. As bad as it gets. And the Fowler hurts hurt thousands of people. Before he was, he was, he was a president, he was, he was a pastor at, at, that prominent, at the prominent church that his dad started. It damaged the church, it damaged the university, and it damaged Christianity. But a Christian's reaction should be different than the Hulu's reaction or the average person out there just drooling to see it. Instead of letting our carnal curiosity get the best of us, we should mourn. We should pray. Pray for those who's been damaged by a leader's sin. Two more things to expect from spiritual leaders and then I'm done. The next one is pastors and anyone in Christian leadership should possess strong judgment. Verse seven says a pastor must preserve the knowledge of God, meaning he or she are lifelong students of God's word. And because of that, people should be able to go to them for instruction. You probably shouldn't bring me your W-2s at tax time. And don't ask me for legal advice. Not good at taxes, not good at legal, but if you want to talk about God's call, if you want to deal with a troubling sin, you want to debate some theological issue, you even want to work on your marriage, I'm, 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 I'm in. See, as pastors, we're to be spiritual guides, offering godly counsel. That's what you should expect from a pastor. And one last thing. When you're looking for a church or a ministry, and I know that some of you are online, are probably checking this out to see if you want to even come in person 
or I want us to keep watching online. When you're looking for a church or a ministry, Malachi says, look for a place where there's life, where lives are being changed. In verse six, one of the marks of a faithful priest or a faithful pastor is they turn many, many from lives of sin. The fruit of ministry is people change. People become more like Jesus. Marriages are getting stronger and families are being put back together. Addictions are being overcome and hope is being restored. That's what you should be looking for. People are leaving the old and coming into God's new because God doesn't save us to leave us where he found us. God wants to free you. He wants to restore you. He wants to grow you. He wants to transform you. God wants to use you in a greater way and make you into the image of himself. That's what God has for you. God does it through the church under the leadership of a local pastor who is called by God, schooled in God's word, devoted to the church, and loves people. That's why I'm asking you to pray for your pastors and all church leaders, from children's teachers to small group leaders to ministry directors to staff members because they are on Satan's shortlist. And because they are on Satan's shortlist, they need to be on your prayer list. Because as our leaders go, so goes our church. And as the church goes, so goes our country. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you structure the church. And God, we pray for our teachers, our ministry leaders, our small group leaders, and our pastors. We pray that you would protect them Give them wisdom that they need, the direction that they require. God, may we always intercede for those who are over us, advising us, praying for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are all priests. We all have different levels of leadership from the home to the church to more of a some statewide and some national leaders, but may we always remember that you appoint us to different levels of leadership. And may we, may we take those levels of leadership seriously. I pray in, in this church for our the church board and our mission board that leads in their area of responsibility, for our staff here at this church Again, for our teachers and our ministry leaders, protect them. For our, and that God, you would uh, continue to be with each one of us. That we would be people who have a passion for you, who would never be guilty of what you said the priests and the people of Malachi's day were, of people who lost, lost their passion for you. Where coldness is set in, I pray the fire of the Holy Spirit would burn deep in each one of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to each one of you online and in person. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you should do that today. Or if you've not been walking with him, you should start today. 
You do that by saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. I want to follow you. If you say those simple words, if you online tell your host, I'm coming back to Jesus. And if you said those, if you, if you agreed or that those words that I just said was your prayer today, I'm gonna be at the front. You come and talk to me. Because you see, God wants to change your life. He wants to change your eternity. And saying that prayer is the first step toward that eternal change. You tell your host, and you in this room come and tell me. Because God wants to do something. God, God will do something new and fresh in your life. We're gonna wrap it up, but I wanna tell you what's happening next week. I'm gonna deal with a hard subject, a confusing subject, one that's been misunderstood for a while. I'm gonna talk about marriage and divorce. That's the next thing that, Malachi, that God gets into with the people in Malachi's day. So I want you to be here because I think it's a, it's a tough subject in, area, in, a, in a time when I think it's, be, it's uh, well, it's been maybe uh, not as easy to understand, easy to practice, and easy to, uh, it's, been, it's, been, it's been not as understood as completely as it needs to be. And I want to try to take Malachi and brought, bring some clarity to it. So uh, be here next week at 9 and 10.30 online as well. God bless you. Stand with me for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. Remember, pray for those above you. Ask God to protect them, bless them, and God will honor your prayers. You're dismissed.